This is Make Money Count, brought to you by Connect Home Financing. Marcus, I know you used to be a teacher, um, and I'm, I'm just curious, does that take a special kind of patience, especially in the world of finance, where, you know, there's not a lot of room for errors because you're dealing with someone's money? I don't know that I've ever been characterized as an exceptionally patient person, so... <laughs> Nor have I ever really been characterized as a very good teacher. But uh, I think that what helped a lot is, sure, definitely details need to be paid attention to in finance. But my approach to it is more and has always been a little more personal. Like, I mean, that's going to sound so like cliche, but the reason why Connect's been successful is it's easy to focus on details when you make the deals that you're doing personal. Like if you Hmm. listen to the consumer and you pay attention to what they're telling you on timelines and amount of money they need and why they need it. Like these are just some of the things you want to pay attention to. But if you are paying attention, it becomes like a story and it's easy to remember good stories and that's kind of how we train everyone here at connect, right? Like first you have to have the raw talent and the raw talent is really just like, you know, typically you're going to be a caring person and you got to be invested in your borrowers. And Mm -hmm. if you can, if you can meet those requirements, like you don't have to be great at math. We get calculators and computers. You got to be great at asking questions and listening and, I got a lot of patience for, for that, that kind of thing. And that's why I do what I do. So teaching the course at Seneca, when I taught it, I don't teach it anymore, but teaching the course at Seneca, it, it, it's, it's, you're basically being patient and communicating with the people that need to be patient and communicate with more people. Uh, so I saw it as a great opportunity and um, I learned a lot. Like I, I said, we've spoken about this before. I learned much more than I taught when I did that class. And, and it was a great experience for me. I hope for some of the students, it was great. Uh, but, but it, I learned a lot from that. And, and I, I took what I learned from that and it helped me to create the business that, that we're running right now. Can I? It seems, and I, this is just my, you know, my impression based on the shows that we've done in the past, that there's a real team aspect at Connect, though. I mean, you, you, you guys certainly don't seem afraid of asking each other, you know, opinions on various things. What do you think of this? Do you think this might work? Can we look at it this way? Um, it, it sounds like you do have a really good and tight team down there. I, for sure. That, that we, uh, we probably like each other too much, like, to like the detriment of our spouses sometimes like we're hanging out like every Friday and like a lot of the phone calls going around the office are like what are you having for lunch today like there's there's a real sense of community at connect and I like it's not purposefully done it's just if you get a bunch of like-minded people Mm. together they're gonna get along with each other and the other thing is if you do work that is fulfilling like at the end of every day, if what you've done has helped people and progressed them in the right direction, 
Mm. you're going to feel good about yourself. You're going to feel good about the people that you work with. You're going to want to do more of it. You're going to go home. Like I go home. I feel recharged. Like I don't, I'm not wiped. I mean, some days I'm wiped because I got to deal with Justin and his antics, <laughs> but like for the most part, I go home, I feel great. And I'm like, I, 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 my claim to fame is Ian, with the exception of like maybe the odd, really early morning flight that I have to take. I've never set an alarm clock. Like I wake up, well, I mean, I also have three kids that are under the age of seven. So maybe that is an alarm clock. Yeah. Deductive reasoning yeah. might lead me to believe that that's fine. But I, um, yeah, like I, I love getting up and getting after whatever it is we're going to do. Um, and that I think sets the tone of the culture. Like I was staying at a bunch of different hotels. This is a little bit of a tangent, but I was staying at a bunch of different hotels when I've been, when I was away and you can tell like the soul of the hotel again. What am I? I'm so cliche today. Anyways, you could tell like the vibe of the energy of a, even more cliche. You could tell uh, the vibe of a hotel based on the manager of the hotel. Like I stayed at the Daniele hotel in Venice and from the moment, like it's a beautiful hotel. It's the one where they kind of like fake filmed the movie, the tourist with Johnny Depp and Angelina Jolie. Never seen it. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. I watched it while I was there. But from the moment you check into this gorgeous hotel, you arrive on a water taxi and it's like very Venetian and there's people greeting you. And then you go to the front desk and it was like basically Lurch's sister from the Adams family that was at the front desk, <laughs> punching away in a computer, not paying attention to me as rude as possible took me 45 minutes to check in. I got the worst possible room. I needed to change it. The hotel was vacant. She still insisted on putting me in a room with no running water. Then like every level of service sucked. And then I met the general manager and I was like, oh, that's why it sucks. <laughs> so I switched. I went to the St. Regis. And where, now they're both for Canada's national airline. I'm not talking bad about Air Canada. Really? <laughs> I fly oh, with them way too often. I can't say a word. <laughs> Uh, the banks I'll go after, but not Air Canada. Uh, so then I checked into the St. Regis and I checked into the St. Regis and I met the general manager and that guy was just like slick, good looking Italian guy, very gracious. As soon as I got there, he upgraded the room. I went down to the bar. I had a drink. He shows up. How's your room? Like he's got more rooms. He's got a brand new hotel. Everyone in that hotel was so polite and nice and you can tell the soul of a business. You can tell how they're going to operate based on the person that is accountable and in charge. And if that person sets a tone of communication and caring for borrowers and clients or hotel guests or whatever it is, it's going to disseminate through the organization. And if that person's sleeping on the wheel, that's going to get picked up on. Mm. So I don't do it on purpose. I love what I do. And I think that you pick up on that. And I think that's why yeah. you love what you do. hundred percent. Yeah. Justin, I was long, just going to get yeah. to you actually, you know, as principal broker with connect, does it bug you the image that, that people involved in pretty much any level of finance have out there? You know, there's this, you know, the, the, the little bald headed guy in a three piece suit sitting hunched over a desk, just, you know, churning numbers all day. And I, to be honest, in all the years that I've done shows like this, I've never met one of those people. Yeah. I mean, I definitely have great hair, so I'm not one of those bald guys, 
but uh, knock on wood, because I could be one day. Um, listen, in terms of, yeah, like there, there is obviously a stereotype of, of, you know, mortgage brokers and, and, you know, people clicking away at a keyboard all day and, and no smiles and heads down and get the, get the work done. And actually, you know what, one of my really good friends is an accountant. And even he says like, that's kind of how that world is. Um, you know, I'm definitely could not be an accountant, but um, you know, so there is some, I don't know if there's some truth to it, but, but this place is definitely not, you know, one of those, those places. And if it was, there's no way that I could, I could be here because. You and know, it's like one of the good things about you guys doing this show, because it illustrates how approachable that you guys are on a, on a real level. It's not this uptight, you know, uh, shirt with a tie all the way up to your neck kind of deal. Justin's pretty yeah. uptight though. Like, <laughs> I'm definitely far from uptight. Uh, uh, he's a little bit uptight. Far from uptight. But I am not uptight. I'm super, super yeah, yeah. easy going. We'll see about that. But, but, but yeah, definitely. Um, you know, real is the word that you used. I think I have a slow, I have a bad, like short-term memory, but I think you said real and, and, and that is exactly what the people here are. You know what I mean? They're caring, they're real. We get along. Normally when me and Marcus are looking to hire somebody, the main thing that we talk about is like, you know, are they kind of cool, right? Like, can we get along with them? Are they going to fit in with the family? Because I know that if they fit in with the family, then, then, you know, they have the right traits and the right character, you know, character points to, to kind of succeed in this business and care about our borrowers. And that goes back to his example with the general manager, you know, I mean, you're only as good the team's only as good as the coach. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. hundred percent. So, and, and yeah, honestly, we like what we're doing yeah. and we have nothing to hide, which is why like, it was so exciting for us when like we started this podcast and then the podcast rolled in to become a radio show and then the radio mm-hmm. show became a TV show. It's awesome, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, and it's, we spend money on a lot of different marketing. Like we got those bus ads going that say, congratulations, Canada's banks on $40 billion <laughs> worth of profit through COVID. That was my yes. idea. Yeah. Uh, we have a TV commercial that runs like NFL you know, during NFL games, like Thursday night, there's a, game that it, I don't know what game it is, but there's a bunch no of our clue. commercials like, but the most fulfilling thing that we do is this, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Like the most, and I think it's probably the thing that gets the most phone calls and the, the most people, because people can see who we are. They can understand who yeah. we are. I think it, it, it makes you, you know, it makes you reachable. It makes you relatable. Going to be talking about mortgage renewals um, for a bit. And instead of me uh, going on on text messages, uh, we do have a call. So let's go to that call. What's your question? Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call today. My question is, what's the advantage of getting a short-term or let's say a one-year mortgage versus a long-term or a five-year mortgage? And does this vary depending on whether I have, you know, low credit, bad credit, or good credit? That's a fun question. Hmm. Okay, so uh, generally speaking, your credit does not impact what term you're going to get approved for, one to five years, generally speaking. If your credit and income is are poor, it you may want to take a one-year to rehabilitate and then move to a five-year. Also, generally speaking, in Canada, the most popular product is a five-year fixed rate. 
um, and the second most popular product is a five-year variable rate. That is because of the aversion to risk most Canadians have. And it is despite the fact that over the last, I don't know, 40 or 50 years that it's been tracked, the variable rate has always outperformed the variable. Uh, the variable rate has always outperformed the fixed rate. So what I would say to this borrower, number one, if your credit and income qualify you for a five-year rate at the lowest available rate, the only reason you should be looking to affect any change on the timing of that term, so like selecting a one or a two-year rate, would be because you anticipate breaking that mortgage in advance of its maturity or moving or affecting some change on it. And like we say on the show all the time, 75% of all mortgages do break before their maturity. That being said, depending on how great of a rate you can get on a one or a two year fixed, you probably are better off just taking a variable because they're so competitively priced and also because of the, the dynamic in the marketplace. And we're seeing it like we saw it all week this week in the stock market, right? We had Monday where I got to think about what, whatever, you know, if, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But at Monday, the stock market went up uh, by a point and a half. Tuesday went down by a point and a half and then some. Wednesday back up, Thursday down, Friday up. Like th- that back and forth in the market is all based on interest rates, believe it or not. I mean, it's got a few other pieces in there, but they're all tied to interest rates. So that level of fluctuation in the market shows the level of sensitivity to interest rate risk that we're seeing in the marketplace. And you better be sure that central bankers are aware of it. So when someone's looking at a variable rate versus a fixed rate right now, what they're considering is, is the Bank of Canada going to start hiking interest rates really soon? The Bank of Canada has to increase interest rates at some point. So there's no argument for me that they're going to increase them. What I'm saying is it's important to consider how sensitive the general economy is to interest rate moves. And that is being seen now on a daily basis as to how the stock exchange in New York is digesting bond yields. And bond yields are essentially like a thermometer, if you will, for the likelihood of the central bank's increasing interest rates or even more granularly, affecting some small change in either monetary policy or fiscal policy. So the contraction of the money supply or the expansion of the money supply and the increasing of interest rates or the decreasing of interest rates is the most sensitively viewed within bond yields. So when bond yields go up, it means that the market thinks that interest rates are going to increase and that the central banks will reduce stimulus. When bond yields decrease, it means that the market believes that the, that the, and they call it accommodative, that the central bank will become more accommodated. Dovish and hawkish. There's all kinds of different adjectives that are used for the behavior of a central bank. And I think that all probably started from Alan Greenspan because he was like this uh, amazing Federal Reserve chairman that could say things, he could speak for three hours and nobody knew what, nobody could decipher what he was saying. But what, what I'm getting at here is you're probably not that poorly served by a variable rate right now, even though we know interest rates are increasing. And I think that there might be even more fear pushed into the market because of how profitable five-year fixed rates are. 
Five-year fixed rates are a really profitable product because the bank gives it to you, they sell it, so they offset it, they hedge the rate, and they get a really juicy penalty if you ever decide to break it. Whereas a variable rate mortgage, it's hard for anybody to charge you more than three months worth of interest on it. So believe it or not, if you took a two-year fixed rate on your renewal instead of a five-year fixed rate on your renewal, and you broke the two-year in advance of the, of the two-year, you could have a higher penalty than three months worth of interest. Mm. So again, it comes down to like, read about it, talk to somebody that knows about it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of tricks at play here. I think if, if you think you're going to break your mortgage, you probably want a five-year variable and history is on your side. And if you're pretty confident, you're going to stay in your product, you're going to stay there for five years, you take a five-year fixed. And if you take a five-year variable with the right lender, read not a bank, a mortgage finance company, we'll talk about them all the time on the show. We talk about them as soon as you phone in. These are companies like First National, Merrick's, MCAP, like amazing, innovative Canadian companies with hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars worth of mortgages under administration. The way they operate, they'll give you a variable rate. And when it's time for you to lock in to a fixed rate, and by when it's time, I mean your mortgage broker, like if you're with Connect, we think it's a good time to lock into a fixed rate mortgage. You're going to get a phone call from us. And if you say, yeah, I guess so, lock me in. We'll lock you in that day. And when you get locked in, you're locking into the same interest rate that those mortgage finance companies are using to attract new business in. The lowest rate that they have. The only rate that they have. Whereas if you took a variable rate from a bank, the process to lock into a fixed rate is very different. It involves calling your bank. Has anyone ever tried to call their bank recently? <laughs> so after you're done with the touchstone maze and you finally get through to someone at your bank and you request to lock in your variable rate into a fixed rate, that's when the gamesmanship begins. Because on the back end, they're going to calculate the cost for you to break your variable rate mortgage. And then they're going to inflate your interest rate by at least that amount when you decide to lock into a fixed rate. And then they're going to know that when you lock into a fixed rate, you're going to have a penalty that is based on interest rate differential, which then gets you back to the reason why you probably didn't want a fixed rate in the first place. So listen, there's a lot to unpack when you're renewing your mortgage. Who your lender is, is a really, really important factor. And what product you take is almost secondary. Justin, here's a question for you. Um, hey guys, is renewing your mortgage the same as refinancing your mortgage? No, no. Generally, uh, generally when clients call in and they want to renew their mortgage, they will use the word refinance. <clears throat> to uh, mortgage brokers and mortgage professionals, a refinance is, is technically something that happens when you're changing um, anything other than your interest rate on your mortgage. <clears throat> so if you're taking out money, if you're extending your amortization, if you're shortening your amortization, um, those are all uh, traits of being a refinance. If you're renewing your mortgage, really what you're doing is you're keeping everything the same, keeping the same amortization, which is the amount of time it it's going to take you to pay off your mortgage, keeping the same mortgage amount, and you're changing your rate. So, or you're, you're moving from lender to lender, of course. Guys, just before the show started, I, I wanted to get a question in about renewing mortgages because I've, I've, I've heard so many different varieties of this. And I know a bunch of people who, if I ask them, will tell me 
that you should never go leave your current uh, mortgage provider because if you do, then you could be refinancing at a different rate and you might not get your mortgage renewed. And if I'm hearing this from friends, it's got to be a fairly common misunderstanding out there. Can you explain the process and what some of the pitfalls are, if there are any? Okay. Your friends have a point. So, uh, when the liberal government first came into power, they introduced the stress test to Canadian mortgages, which meant that if you had a 3% rate on your five-year fixed rate mortgage, you had to qualify for your next mortgage at at least 2% higher than that. And then there was like a, there's a prescribed rate that's been introduced by the Bank of Canada, which is the actual five-year fixed rate of all the Canadian banks, um, which, you know, is the now qualifying rate. What that meant was if you got a mortgage before the Liberal government got into power and your mortgage was, let's say, you know, 2.4% and you had five years left and six months had gone by and the Liberal government came into power, they introduced the stress test. The stress test then said you need to qualify for that mortgage at 5.5%. Now, you barely qualified for your mortgage at 2.5%. Hmm. You don't qualify at 5.5%. When that mortgage comes up for maturity, you are stuck with that lender. It is very difficult to move to another lender unless you deal with a broker that understands how to port that mortgage to another lender. And there are ways to do it while maintaining how you initially qualified for it and ensuring that you're not taking any more capital out, which was the intent, which was the supposed intent of the stress test. Unfortunately, and probably to the complete dismay of the Canadian banks, what resulted was a stickiness of borrowers to their existing financial institution. And I'm sure that the banks didn't contemplate that their borrowers wouldn't be able to leave and that they would be able to charge them more in interest on the renewals. I don't think that that sounds reasonable, does it, to you, Justin? Definitely not. So what has ended up happening, and there's no better place to have this illustrated for you other than the annual reports of the Canadian banks, if you look back at the years following the stress test introduction, what happened was the banks, at a time when they wanted to introduce the notion of them lending safely and securely and not increasing their portfolios, what they were able to do was tout that they weren't increasing portfolio risk by lending more money to existing borrowers and they were increasing profitability or what's called net interest margins on their entire loan books as they were renewing. So by introducing this one clever little stress test, they were able to make their borrowers that were in their portfolio that were on the fringe, the ones that you know kind of barely qualified for the mortgage that they had at the rate that they got, they were able to prevent them from shopping for the most part, and they were able to offer them inflated interest rates on their renewals. Now, a lot of those borrowers called mortgage brokers, and those mortgage brokers helped them out of those products, and a lot of those borrowers will now never go back to those banks again after they realize what they've done. But it is important to understand, and it is important, and it highlights, it should highlight to people just how clever and just how ingrained in the fabric of our polit political system, the banks are, right? Like, you're not going to win if you're dealing directly. I just, I, don't, I just don't see how it's possible. 
Mm. Uh, maybe the odd, you know, incredibly savvy former mortgage broker or banker, <laughs> but they're out to get as much of your money as they possibly can. And they're good at it. And they have the backing of the federal government. So the, there's a real importance in understanding what products are available to you and how you can qualify for them when it comes time for your renewal. And nothing highlights it more than how the stress test was introduced. And even more sinister is, and probably, again, probably not the intention of the Canadian banks here. But what's, what's even more strange is that 10 years prior to the introduction of the stress test, all of the Canadian banks made an incredible push to introduce something called collateralized mortgages. A collateralized mortgage means that if your bank lends you a mortgage, let's say you have a $500,000 house and you need to borrow $300,000 on your mortgage. They were registering collateralized mortgages that were 100% of the value of your home or 125% of the value of your home. They started doing that 10 to 15 years ago. When they do that, they trap all of the equity in your home. Now they do it under the guise of trying to be helpful. So, you know, if I'm the bank and I'm giving Justin a five-year fixed rate mortgage and he's got a $500,000 house and I'm giving him $300,000, I'll say, you know, Justin, right now, all I can qualify you for is $300,000. Or maybe he qualifies for more, but I'll say, right now, all you want is $300,000. But in the future, you may want to come back to me and borrow more money. So what I'll do as your bank is I'll register a mortgage charge for 500,000, or in some cases they were doing it at 25%, so 625,000 to capture even if the property value was gonna increase, they wanted that, like just so so greedy. But I'll capture, I'll, I'll register a charge on your house for $625,000. That way, if you ever wanna borrow money, you just come back to me. A oh, nice guy. Right. So then what happened? Well, if Justin only needed 300,000 and he got his 300,000, under what conditions would Justin require more capital? Maybe if he lost his job. So, or maybe if his, something happened in his life, his wife stopped working or they had a kid or someone got sick or life happens. Well, now Justin goes back to his bank and says, well, I'm sure glad we did that collateralized mortgage charge because I need $50,000. Well, the bank will say, oh geez, Justin, unfortunately you're not, you need the money. And because you need the money, because your credit's damaged or your income's not there, we can't qualify you for the money. But we can offer you an unsecured credit card or an unsecured line of credit at an incredibly higher interest rate. So, you know, 12 to 25%. Why don't you take this? What Justin does when he takes that capital is he essentially borrows at an interest rate significantly higher than the interest rate on his contract for his mortgage, but he's still providing the bank with the same level of security as they have if they were to give him a mortgage because they've registered for more than the value of his house. When the stress test got introduced, it was like rocket fuel for that business plan because now the banks didn't have to wait for Justin to come back and ask for more money because something happened in his life. Now they just had to wait for Justin to mature. Once his mortgage matured, Justin would call his bank and he would say, 
I know my rights. It's renewal time. I better get a great rate. And the banker would say, geez, Justin, I'm so sorry. But because of the stress test, which was imposed by the liberal government, has nothing to do with us at the banks, we're simply unable to qualify you for your existing mortgage, let alone any additional capital. But what we can do is we can give you this horrible interest rate on your renewal and saddle you with some unsecured debt that is sure to sink your credit score. And guess what? If you're worried about us and our security, don't. Because we've already registered a charge in your house for $625,000. Anyways, uh, all of this is to say, please, please, if you're renewing a mortgage, mortgage brokers work for free. Like, Connect isn't going to charge you anything. Neither is any other. Like, if you Google great mortgage broker Toronto, just pick someone that pops up. If you want to pick us, pick us. But just pick somebody and have them guide you through the process. They're not going to charge you anything. They're just going to give you great advice. And I guarantee you're going to save money. Uh, let's start with uh, with a quick text question, guys, because this is a great question. Um, what happens if I don't renew my mortgage? Bad news. Bad news. Really? I mean, I mean, not that bad. Depends on the lender. Yeah. Depends on the lender. You can answer. I mean, listen, if you don't remove, renew, renew your mortgage, um, they send you a document. And then they say, hey, just so you know, we're going to renew your mortgage for you. But we assume that you're going to be doing something anyways in the near future. So we're going to renew you at our open interest rate, which is generally 5 6 7%. And then once you can't make that payment, then it's bad news. Uh, I mean, typically you're going to make the payment. But yes, you're going to get sent into a bad interest rate if you don't renew. And if you wait too long, in some cases... You might actually be pushed into a fixed rate product, in which case, if you were planning on leaving that lender, you're going to have to pay a penalty on top of it. Mm. So listen, you're afforded ample opportunity to renew your mortgage. You should be contacted by your lender. I think it's 120 days in advance. If you're a Connect borrower, you get contacted nine months in advance. The more time you have between the day that you decide to start shopping and the day that you renew, the better off you are. The more information you can gather, the more interest rates from more lenders you can start taking, the better you're going to do on that renewal date. Everybody understands that. It's just people don't want to focus on their mortgage six months out. Mm-hmm. The other thing people should understand is that when they get a renewal offer from the bank, the bank understands that you're nervous. They also understand that most people want to just like, okay, let's check this off. Like we took care of our mortgage. We yeah. took care of it earlier. Let's pat ourselves on the back. Honey, you know what we did today? We, we locked our mortgage in early so we don't have to worry about it. It's one less thing we have to worry about. But you're paying for that, right? Mm-hmm. The first offer you receive from your bank in the mail sucks. <laughs> Burn it. When you get it, well, actually, what I like to say is when you get your first offer, take a picture of it with your phone. Because I guarantee you, if you slow play that lender up until 30 days before your renewal date, the interest rates you're going to get offer are going to look so much better. There is a process here, right? So 120 days out, you get your first renewal notification. Renewal notification will say an inflated five-year fixed rate. Let's just use one rate for an example. It'll be an inflated five-year fixed rate. You don't respond. 90 days out, that rate drops. You don't respond. 60 days out, that rate drops again you don't respond. 45 days out, you start getting phone calls. Hey, Ian, uh, why don't you uh, respond to us? Uh, It's your friendly bank. Uh, We really want to do a deal with you. And uh, 
Are you speaking to somebody else? And then maybe that's when you get wise and say, you know what? Actually, I am. I've enlisted a mortgage broker and they've advised me that the interest rates are, insert rate here, 1.5%. Well, geez, Ian, I mean, you realize it's going to be really difficult for you to move your mortgage. Well, actually, um, the mortgage broker I spoke to told me that all the fees to move my mortgage are covered. All the legal fees are covered. In fact, they're even going to give me $500 to pay what they say is a, is a garbage admin fee you're going to charge on the discharge. And this is true. Mm-hmm. Lenders want your money. Lender, lenders want to lend you money. They want your business. So if you plan on moving from one lender to another, you won't pay anything to do it. You're just going to get a great rate. Typically, it's going to get done through a broker. Now, once you have that conversation with them 45 days out, they're not going to match the interest rate right away. They're going to ask you what the interest rate is. They're going to say, well, geez, that's a really good rate. I don't know if we can do anything to help. And they're going to count on you being lazy. And then they're going to wait till 30 days out. And they're going to try you again. And then they're going to wait till 15 days out. And then on the day that you are scheduled to close, your lawyer or the lawyer that works on behalf of the new lender will contact your bank and they will request what's called a discharge statement. And then your bank will call you and they'll say, geez, Ian, we really didn't want you to leave. And I don't know how this all got fumbled up the way it did, but what we're willing to offer you is one basis point lower than the rate you got offered at this new bank and a free checking account for one year or something like this. And what they realize that this will do is it will affect the mortgage broker, the new lender the lawyer, all the people in that ecosystem that worked hard to get you that interest rate, it's going to prevent them from being able to fund themselves from continuing to do that business. It's really clever. And they're going to keep you as a client. And they're always going to know that you're a shopper and they're always going to squeeze as much money as they can at you. I understand uh, we have some calls on the line. So why don't we do that? Let's go to line three. Thanks for taking my call. I heard you guys last week talking about bond yields moving up and what that means for mortgages. I uh, got a mortgage coming up for renewal in March 2022, and I generally take a variable rate. Personally, I think the Bank of Canada is going to hold prime, but what does that mean for the discount that we get? Do we think that's going to change because of fixed rates rising? Really, I just want to know if I should lock in now. Thanks, guys. Hmm. Thanks for your call. That's interesting. That's like the million dollar question. Yeah. Should I lock into a fixed rate right now? <clears throat> Again, it depends on whether you plan on breaking that mortgage because the penalty to break your fixed rate is going to be huge <clears throat> depending on where it is. Fixed rates are low, right? What are they at right now? What's fixed the best five-year fixed have rate? have gone up a little bit, just under 2%. You know what? <clears throat> depending on where you're going. I am not ready to lock in yet. Neither am I have a variable rate. My variable yeah. rate's not great, but. I'm not going to lock in yet. I just feel as though the sensitivity to interest rates is far more pronounced than maybe the, the market expects. And I think that if we do see an increase of 25 or 50 basis points, I think that the effect of cooling that will take place on the market. I mean, you can see it right now, right? Bond yields go up, market goes down. Mm. And that's just the expectation that 
this stimulus is going to be removed. Um, the other thing is, is that you got to think of the economy like a fire. So, <clears throat> you know, we put lighter fluid on the fire, right? We ultra low interest rates, massive amounts of stimulus. Like we basically took a gas station and put a log of wood on top of it and set it ablaze. The problem is, is if you remove all that stimulus too quickly by increasing interest rates or, you know, adjusting monetary policy and, you know, certain buybacks or loan programs, if you remove that too quickly, it's going to be more difficult to restart the fire next time. And you're going to have to use new types of fuel. And we've seen this before, like quantitative easing, new type of fuel, right? Um, so I think that no one is more aware of this than central bankers. And I think that we must also understand that one of the tools that the central bank has is to tell you interest rates are increasing. That is a form of monetary policy. And I do believe that if you're in a variable rate, you could probably, based on where rates are right now, you're at a variable rate, it's at 1%, you get a fixed rate, it's at 2%. We're not going to see a 1% increase in the next 12 months in rates. And if we saw a 50 basis point increase, I think we might have to park ourselves there for a little bit. There's also like some of the stimulus that we've seen injected in Canada into our economy, like the Canadian employment wage subsidy and CERB, those are going to get dialed back. And those are going to have an impact on the economy, just like increasing interest rates will. So I think my short answer to the question is what I started with. I'm not switching to a fixed rate yet. Um, long answer is it really depends on your propensity for risk. And if you are sensitive to risk, like I'll put you this way. My mom, they don't have a mortgage anymore, but my mom would never take a variable rate. Mm. She, can, she wouldn't be able to sleep with a variable rate. Small TV, big warranty. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I like that. <laughs> so, Guys, I'm up again. All right, Ian, the short answer to the question is it's really dependent on risk. It would be negligent for me to say blanket statement. Everybody should take a variable rate. But I think most people should take a variable rate still. Mm.